In episode 29, I'll be chatting with you about what emotional intelligence is, why it's essential for leaders to develop theirs, the key skills that make up emotional intelligence, and practical strategies to help you improve on each of these essential skills. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and well-being consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff well-being action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Hi, and thank you for tuning into today's episode. I am, of course, Adrienne Hornby, your host, and today I'll be chatting with you about emotional intelligence and educational leadership. Now, while I sit in group coaching sessions with school leaders and I ask them to describe the characteristics of a great leader, I must say that they actually rarely bring up knowledge of curriculum or administration first off. Instead, more often than not, they share that trustworthiness, kindness, a calm attitude or the ability to empathise are some of the qualities that make someone a really great leader. The leaders who have insight into their feelings and understanding of the emotion of others and the ability to manage emotional or stressful situations with ease or at least skills are the ones who stand out and are at the forefront. When we consider what makes them effective and strong leaders, it really does often boil down to their emotional intelligence and ultimately their people skills. So in today's episode, we'll be unpacking exactly what emotional intelligence is, why it is 100% essential for leaders to develop theirs. And I want to really put an emphasis on the word develop here because I don't think many of us are born with emotional intelligence or given the adequate foundations in our early lives or early careers. Um, So I really want to focus on that, that whole idea that we can certainly develop this. We'll then dive into the key skills that make up emotional intelligence and some practical strategies to help you improve on each of these essential skills, more so in the areas that you identify might need to be focused on. So let's begin with chatting about what emotional intelligence actually is. 
Now, first of all, it is, in my opinion, one of, if not the most essential personal attributes of an effective leader. Now, I kicked off this whole concept in the last episode. So that was episode 28. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode as well. You don't have to do it first. You could always do it afterwards. And I'll also link that in the show notes for you. So emotional intelligence or EI in a nutshell is your ability to identify and manage your own emotions and react appropriately to the emotions of those around you. Really important in a highly emotional profession like education. When you have a high degree of emotional intelligence, it means that you're in tune with your feelings, you can identify what your emotions mean, and you're aware of how emotions can influence situations and other people. A higher level of developed emotional intelligence allows you to be able to better manage your stress, to communicate effectively, to empathize with others, and to navigate challenges and diffuse conflict swiftly. These skills really help you to build stronger relationships, to succeed at work, and achieve career and personal goals consistently. Now, according to American psychologist Daniel Goldman, who is probably the most prominent in the area in terms of research around emotional intelligence, he outlines five key elements to emotional intelligence. So they are first and foremost self-awareness, then self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. So we will explore each of these elements in this episode, but first I really want to discuss and highlight why emotional intelligence matters for a leader. Now, I'm assuming that a number of people who follow me, my content, listen to my podcast, have a level of emotional intelligence. You wouldn't have clicked into this episode if you didn't or if you hadn't at least had some awareness that maybe yours needs to be developed. There's probably a number of leaders that we know or have worked with who could benefit from listening to something like this. Uh, But it's really important that we recognize the validity and the absolute essential nature of this really key skill. So why does emotional intelligence matter as a leader? Well, firstly, it can help to support you uh, not only in your professional life, but also in your personal life. And the research really shows that emotionally intelligent people have a number of advantages over their non-emotionally intelligent friends (laughs) or um, acquaintances in life. So firstly, increased work performance. They're generally more conscientious, diligent and hardworking. Uh, Often emotionally intelligent people have a better cognitive ability. So, um, you know, they're they're accessing their whole brain, left, right, downstairs brain, upstairs brain, prefrontal cortex, um, which is where empathy and, and, and that understanding and perspective of the world lives. It's almost like you've got to unlock one part of your brain to get to the next part and so on. Improved general self-efficacy. So emotionally intelligence people have the confidence and ability to cope with the demands of a stressful job, which is essential, of course, in education. Um, emotional intelligence also leads to better health outcomes, you know, with, with a greater social connection, but also understanding of ourself and, and ability to regulate 
um, who we are and what we do in our behaviours, it's ultimately going to lead to better health. That, of course, also dives into or leads into, sorry, improved mental health outcomes and then, of course, better relationships and communication styles overall. Uh, In terms of a leader who has emotional intelligence, they are more skilled or more likely to be skilled in communicating their vision clearly to be able to inspire and motivate the staff that they lead to respond appropriately to stressful situations and guide others to do the same. Uh, They're able to manage their own emotions and the emotions of their staff to an extent, (laughs) maybe temper the emotions um, of their staff might be uh, a better explanation of, of, of those skills. But I can certainly reflect in my time that as my emotional intelligence developed, I was able to better support the staff that I led to manage their emotions as I didn't fuel the fire as much as I did in the early days per se. Uh, Also, they're able to guide their teams through times of crisis and complex change and are able to manage that process. So my experience with emotional intelligence, as I discussed in the the last session uh, around my development of my personal attributes, uh, my emotional intelligence really uh, has had a lot of work over the years. So when I first started my career as an educational leader, I would say that I had poor or really no vision. Uh, I just uh, almost regurgitated the vision of my senior leader. Uh, So didn't actually know much about team formation and vision setting and, 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 and what I was working towards and how to communicate that with my team and myself. Uh, I was highly neurotic. So those of you who know a bit of a background into my story know that I hit burnout pretty hard. I've had a a life of uh, chronic stress, trauma, grief, loss, um, you name it, it was part of my life. Uh, And as such, I was a real catastrophizer of stress. I didn't have many skills, wasn't so good at compartmentalizing things, and I brought a lot of this to the workplace. Uh, and what I was really skilled at, though, was getting things done and doing things and instructional leadership. But I reflect now on how that was just a total distraction. Uh, doing everything and overworking was to avoid the really scary feelings and experiences of my life. Uh, and it made me good at some things as a leader, but, but not really good at the things that matter. So once I developed and really worked and focused on developing my emotional intelligence, which I am still doing, this is a lifetime commitment. <laughs> but once I, once I say, I guess when I say that I went from probably a 1.5 to 2 out of 5, that's generous. <laughs> I'm going to say maybe a 1 uh, in my emotional intelligence. I'd now say that Uh, I mostly hover up around a four or five, but there are moments where I lose it and um, I'll unpack that. But let's just say once I developed it to about a 3.5 to a four out of five, uh, I I realized that I'd learned about how to really motivate people towards change, um, how to communicate vision 
and and get people on board. Uh, most importantly, because this is probably my biggest area of downfall, I was better able to self-regulate my emotions and my behaviours. Uh, and I developed a lot of perspective. So through taking a good look at myself um, and better understanding myself, I then was able to better understand others. Now I'm much better at asking questions and, and, and listening to people and then adapting my practice and what I do, whereas um, once upon a time I wouldn't really say I was an active listener. I was more of a t- tell people what to do kind of person. Um, but really importantly, uh, once I developed my emotional intelligence, I became a really fierce advocate for other people without being offensive. And what I mean by that is that I have really strong opinions uh, and still do, <laughs> but how I communicate those opinions, I think, has come a long way. It's not perfect. I'm still working on it. Um, but but that's what happens when we begin to focus and develop on uh, our skills. So what are the skills of an emotionally intelligent leader? So as I mentioned earlier, emotional intelligence can be broken down into a set of key skills. And by focusing on each of these skills, but more so the ones that you're struggling with or not as skilled in or strong in, we can begin to effectively boost our emotional intelligence and move it up on that spectrum. So next, I'm actually going to discuss each of the skills in detail, as well as provide you with some strategies to develop each one. So as I'm chatting about each one, you might like to give yourself uh, a little bit of a rating on a scale of one to five. Uh, And though some of those lower scored areas, you might really like to tune into some of the strategies that I suggest. Uh, I actually have written a blog on this a while back, so you can uh, go back after you listen to me and see this all written down. Um, But really lasering in on those areas that require more support uh, to begin with. So let's begin now with key skill number one, which is self-awareness. Now, self-awareness is the foundation to all emotional intelligence skills, in my opinion. Like, you just have to start here. So self-aware leaders recognize what they feel and how their emotions and actions can affect the people around them. When you're in a leadership position, being self-aware also means having a clear picture and level of acceptance of your strengths and your weaknesses. A good leader should extend this same understanding and awareness to those that they work alongside and lead. So how self-awareness works is that people think because they have an understanding of themselves, they're self-aware. Self-awareness is actually made up of two parts, an awareness of yourself and your behavior and your emotions, but also an awareness of how others perceive you. So it's not enough to be like, I'm this person because of everything that's happened in my life or because of these experiences. It's then having a clear understanding of how others see you. So as I journeyed through my development of my emotional intelligence, I started to become aware of who I was and how I became that person. That was a really important step. But the next was then to see how who I was uh, was was coming across to others and to the world. 
Uh, and then potentially, therefore, like what might need to be utilised, either the skills that I had or, or things that I needed to work on. So like I said before, I work out that I'm a highly opinionated person. Uh, but the next step in that for me, that's not enough to know that I'm highly opinionated and can, you know, push my views on others. It was um, having an awareness of how that impacted others when I did that, how it made them feel. And then therefore I could then work on adjusting how I communicated my thoughts, views and opinions, uh, who responded to that well and who didn't, uh, and when to hold my tongue. <laughs> That's just an example there. Um, but when we are able to have an awareness of ourselves, both internally and externally, as I, both, as I just t- talked you through then, uh, a good leader then is able to recognise that, you know, that level of awareness of other people. Um, because with an awareness of yourself and others really comes perspective. And perspective is a very useful trait as a leader. Uh, it is for an educator in, in general. Because really putting yourself in the shoes of others can mitigate potential conflict and lead to deeper emotional connections with others as they feel heard, considered and valued. And to be honest, I think you avoid yourself a lot of conflict uh, or putting yourself in risky situations in your personal and professional life. So you might be thinking now on a scale of one to five, how emotion, uh, how self-aware are you? Um, remembering that internal self-awareness is one part, uh, but we also have to have an external self-awareness. And there might be some of you who are listening going, oh, I'm aware of how others see me almost too much so like it it impacts my confidence but you don't really know uh, enough about yourself internally Uh, so that often you know self-judgment is is more a sign of having that external self-awareness or maybe too much of an emphasis on that but not enough of an internal awareness um so some ways to build some more self-awareness uh to begin with taking personality tests a few that I love that I've linked in last week's show notes and I'll link them again uh, are the big five personality test, character strengths, disc personality test, and the dope bird personality type. So whether you're a dove, an owl, a peacock, or an eagle. Uh, another strategy is to keep a journal, journaling about your day or the emotions that you experience throughout your day helps to improve your self-awareness. I always call it free therapy. Writing down your thoughts for for just a few minutes a day and and seeing them in front of you can provide clarity that you hadn't had before. So something that I like to start my day is with is today I'm feeling blah. This is because blah. And then I just go for it and write it all out. Uh, Next strategy is to take a pause. So when you experience intense emotions, pause and consider why those emotions might arise Pausing and taking a deep breath helps you to gain control over the situation instead of being reactive. Uh, As a little caveat here, somebody, as I'm going into the next point around emotional regulation, those who struggle with emotional regulation find it hard to pause. I get it. That's me. 
Um, so the next best thing here is that if you experience an intense emotional time, maybe even just reflecting after you've experienced that about what went on uh, and learning about yourself in that situation is, is another good idea. Um, the pause for me isn't easy, uh, so I like to reflect a lot after I've lost it, <laughs> let's say, but more on that soon. Uh, get outside and walk. So walking has been shown to improve mindfulness and self-awareness. It connects both sides of the brain. It's probably why you have those, um, you know, really profound thoughts or realizations when you're out on a walk, particularly in nature. Mindfulness, reconnect to yourself and learn to sit comfortably with your emotions. So you can learn to do this by practicing mindful activities. So that could be guided meditations or breath work, uh, but is also psychology, things like hypnotherapy and, and, and even coaching. Uh, I actually also really like seeing professional development, learning or books, you know, self-help books as a way of building mindfulness. I think I learned a lot about myself through reading books like that because it got me to reflect on who I am and who I was and who I want to be. Uh, and then the next one, this is quite scary, <laughs> is to explore your early life. Much of who you are now is the result of experiences you've had in your early life. So this includes how you learn to manage feelings such as anger, fear, sadness and joy. The way you manage these feelings in adulthood really depends on the consistency and the quality of your early life experience. So therefore, it may be beneficial to identify these early experiences and how they influence you in the present. Doing this with a professional is always advised because it's um, probably the hardest part of the process. Again, it's lots of revisiting, sometimes um, of really traumatic events, uh, but recognizing how they shaped you and then therefore how that impacts you today. Uh, but the, the next key step there is well, what you do with that information now rather than letting it consume you. That fun leads us into key skill number two, which is self-management or regulation. Um, <laughs> I laugh at this one because uh, this is the, what, the key skill I struggle with the most. Now, emotionally intelligent leaders really have control over impulsive feelings and behaviours and manage their emotions and stresses in healthy ways that align with their values. Thankfully for me, my self-management or emotional regulation is weakest around my family. Uh, I don't really lose it professionally, <laughs> but once upon a time I probably did, um, and I'll unpack that a little bit more soon. So uh, the, the emotionally intelligent leader with good self-management and regulation rarely verbally attacks others loses their temper, makes rushed or emotional decisions, blames others or explodes when navigating a challenging time at work. Additionally, they're really good at adapting to changing circumstances and, and making mindful and constructive decisions about their behaviour. Uh, I'm much better at this now and like I would say I'm quite good at that now but once upon a time uh, I was prone to those periods of burnout uh, and, yeah, blaming others maybe for things that I could have taken responsibility of um, or I would work, work, work really hard and then, you know, hit hit a period where I couldn't work 
and be much good to anybody, which also isn't very good at regulating uh, stress management along the way. So according to Goldman, again, that prolific researcher in this area, a a good self-managing leader is flexible and able to take personal accountability and expect the same fathers. Um, And, you know, as I was saying before, once I used to let things get to me. So I think of interactions with parents, with staff, with other members of my leadership team. Um, And over time, I really had to work on controlling myself Um, and, This was harder for me because I do have a background of trauma and parents who weren't the best role models for emotional regulation. I was not taught these skills in my life by by my parents. I had one parent who was outwardly very emotional, uh, so very angry um, and very narcissistic, and then another parent who just withheld emotions. Uh, So... (laughs) wasn't really ideal because on one hand I was outwardly emotional and then the next I didn't know what to do with my emotions. So um, it makes sense knowing that about me, why, why this was a very, this wasn't a skill that I'd developed. So, I, um, you know, if I'm rating myself on a scale of one to five, just as I hope you are now, I was a one, maybe even a negative one, <laughs> but I'm more like a 3.5 to 4 now and I would say that I'm actually good 90% of the time but I do have moments in my home life where I can lose it and that's often when I'm triggered back to the traumatic experiences of my childhood um, but I know that uh, and and those experiences of me acting that way or losing my ability to regulate are fewer and further between. So I think I probably would have rated myself higher, but I've only just experienced this recently where I lost it. Um, I am also 38 weeks pregnant. So that might be impacting my ability to do it as I'm super hormonal. Uh, But, you know, I've got to own it. So I can't give myself my four or five out of five, unfortunately. So ways to develop our self-regulation skills uh, might include getting to know your values, so spending some time examining what's important to you uh, so that your values can guide you whenever you face a challenging situation or decision or even experience a hard time in life. So when I used to coach people one-on-one in positive psychology, a lot of our early work was done in value identification because it helps us to recognise First of all, why we behave in certain ways, um, but also why we feel down or even happy in relation to experiences in our life, because generally it's we're either out of alignment with our values or in alignment with them. So, you know, people who are burnt out in education might value five things that don't include their job. And so they're really frustrated, uh, five things most, which don't include their job with why they're feeling so disconnected from work and it's probably because they value family relationships um you know uh, connections that let's just use those sorry as an example uh and their total uh their whole life being consumed by their job means that they don't get to attend to the things that they value. So therefore they become resentful or frustrated or angry. Uh, So then what we would, of course, then do uh, was work on ensuring that they could prioritise what they value at some time in their life and um, begin to regulate how they feel based on that. 
Uh, but I digress. <laughs> Uh, another another important tip here is to work on holding yourself accountable. So taking responsibility for your mistakes and wrongdoings and avoiding blaming others when things go wrong. So when we make a mistake, we have to be ready to, to face the consequences and own what we can in that situation, whether or not the other person, if there is another person involved, does the same thing. Practice staying calm. So next time you're in a challenging situation, practice taking a deep breath before you react uh, or engaging in practices that calm you down. So notice your emotions and choose your reactions wisely. Um, Hypnotherapy was really supportive of me in that area. And as I was touching on before in the recent incident in my life where I uh, was not able to regulate my emotions, I did not practice staying calm. Uh, I just let the emotion take over me and upon reflection should have taken a few deep breaths, gone for a walk, tried to distract myself before things hit boiling point. Uh, Another good strategy is to get your feelings out on paper or in a document if you like to type. So try expressing any overwhelming or negative emotions on paper. You don't have to show it to anybody. But but writing down what you feel really helps you to challenge your reactions and feelings to ensure that they're fair. Um, And then from here, really work to reframe challenges as opportunities in disguise. So see your failures as a learning experience. So in my recent incident where I lost it, um, I I definitely saw it as an opportunity for me to go back. I'm not perfect um, and focus on um, practicing staying calm again, getting back to a journaling practice. Uh, And let's hope that I do better next time. Right, so key skill number three is around motivation. So self-motivated leaders are really committed to working towards their goals and they hold themselves and their work to high standards. So my personality style, if I'm looking at the dope bird personality assessment, is a peacock, which means that um, this comes quite easy to me because um, I'm, all, I'm really showy and I like to sell things with emotion and get people on board and I'm quite passionate. Um, so this comes quite easily for me, but I, I recognize that it doesn't for all leaders. Uh, so if you don't already know your personality style, you might like to go back and have a look. But if you're a dove or an owl, um, motivating and others might be harder for you because it's not an inherent or a skill that comes more naturally to you. Uh, So working with others, a motivated leader really leads their team with intention. They they readily offer support and guidance to push through challenging time and achieve really high standards of work consistently. Those with skills in motivating themselves are aware of effective strategies to keep their teams on track. So I am a highly motivated person. Um, Even in the height of my burnout, uh, I was probably too motivated in some areas. It's why I hit burnout. Um, So again, that's something that I developed over my life, either as a response to my trauma or throughout my personal and professional development journey. Uh, But if that is not you, uh, tune in to these next tips. So ways to promote more motivation includes re-examining your why. It it really helps to dream big and to focus on what you want in life and and why you do what you do. 
it's really easy to forget what you love about your life and your career, um, particularly when you're going through intense or chronic periods of stress. So revisiting your passion for work and leadership regularly helps to keep you motivated. If you can do this for yourself, then you're better positioned to do this with the staff that you lead. So from here, supporting or coaching your staff to find their why at work is a great practice to have. And this can include things like a PDP or a PDP process with staff, but you know you know how to do it better than just the tick and flick. What are your goals for the year? How are you going to do it? It's around checking in with staff, really valuing them and, and what they're looking to achieve, remembering that, connecting them with opportunities, those kind of things. Um, ways to promote more motivation is around finding optimism. So even in the face of a challenge or failure, trying to find one good thing about the situation is so helpful. It can be small or even an important lesson learned. So optimistic people aren't totally devoid of realism. That's, you know, you know, there's that whole idea of this toxic positivity. I think optimism has an element of realism in it too. So you can be optimistic in hard times, certainly. Um, celebrate each one of your wins. You know, I always encourage my clients and the school staff that I work with to celebrate what's awesome over what's awful. And for every awful thing that you notice, maybe you need to flood yourself with three awesome things that have happened that day uh, or recently. Uh, Another way to stay motivated is to break it down. So break your to-do list down into bite-sized chunks. Or you could even work with an accountability partner or a coach to ensure that things get done. Habit trackers are also a really helpful tool here because you can track your progress visually. Now, you could probably Google habit tracker or even look one up on Etsy. Um, I actually might have one on my website if you go and have a look in the free resource section. Um, But also there's a great app called Habit Trackers where if you want it to remind you of the things that you're tracking habit-wise on your phone or your iPad, you can do that. Again, all of these strategies can be adopted with the people that you need, with the people that you lead. It's much easier if you can do it for yourself to be a highly motivational leader. Then we've got key skill four, which is empathy. A leader with empathy really is able to step into the shoes of another person and understand their feelings and perspective. Even, I must say, with the people we find most difficult or challenging. Empathy ties into having an awareness of ourselves uh, in order to have some perspective and awareness of others. An empathetic leader uses their broader perspective to guide their actions and reactions to people and situations. Having empathy is vital to managing a successful team or organisation, especially when teachers, staff and students are involved. Empathy helps develop people. It challenges others who are acting unfairly or without awareness Uh, It helps us to give constructive and well-received feedback and listen with an open mind. Uh, You know, it ultimately helps problem solving. So you might be thinking now on a scale of one to five how empathetic you are to others. Um, And if you're lower down on that scale, here are some ways to encourage more empathy in yourself. 
So first of all, you have to develop your own self-awareness and perspective first. That's the foundation. So um, that might be a, a, a something that was lower ranked for you as well. Uh, then next, put yourself in someone else's position. Take the time to really reflect and look at situations from other people's perspectives. Consider how they could possibly feel. This is so hard to do when you find this person challenging or you have a preconceived idea of who they are but we have to put ourselves in their shoes and consider how they would feel in that situation we can't just be empathetic to the ones where empathy is the easiest uh, to come to you know I'm thinking uh, the easiest to exhibit to so I'm thinking you know somebody who's clearly or who we think is clearly a victim um, you know, I don't think anybody sets out in, in this world or in their life to, to do things that hurt others uh, or, or that aren't in the interests of themselves or others unless they've got a serious problem. Um, so we really have to do our best to put ourselves in, in their shoes to understand their behaviour and actions. Uh, Another tip here is to pay attention to body language. So learning how to read body language can really help you to determine how somebody truly feels and respond appropriately to them in the moment. Uh, Also watch out and respond to feelings. So listen to verbal cues from others that, that indicate their feelings or thoughts. Then respond by addressing those feelings positively and constructively. And that can even begin with what I'm hearing you say is this. Am I right in that? Okay. So it sounds to me like this is it might be our next step or your next step or this is how I can support you. And then that leads us into key skill number five, which is having social skills and awareness. Social awareness really enables leaders, particularly in a very social profession like education, to recognise and interpret the the primarily nonverbal cues others use to communicate their feelings with you. These subtle cues let you know how others feel under the surface, how their emotional state changes from one moment to another, and really what is truly important to them. Leaders who have really good social skills are great communicators and uh, are good at managing change and resolving conflicts diplomatically. Uh, In fact, I would say that they're actually better skilled in preventing conflict. So I'll talk more about that soon. And emotionally intelligent leaders with good social skills and awareness don't sit back and make everyone else do the work. Instead, they set an example with their own behaviour and they rally their team uh, and are able to recognise and work with the strengths of everybody uh, who they lead. So you might be thinking now, okay, where do I sit uh, in my social skills and awareness? Um, Those of us, again, with personality styles who are more extroverted and social are probably going to be more skilled in this versus um, some of our um, introverted colleagues and also, again, some of those personality styles which are quite wise and analytical and, um, you know, might even be drivers getting things done uh, but might not be so skilled in, in seeing and working with others. Uh, and, and, and working with them to their full potential is probably a better way to put it. 
So some strategies to improve our social awareness. Uh, Again, make time to journal. So reflect on how you behaved during interactions with others and note anything that might have bothered you or triggered your emotions. Learn conflict prevention and resolution. So leaders and good professionals must know how to resolve conflicts between their team and stakeholders. But more so, I think it comes in the prevention. So an interesting research paper I just read recently, and I'll link it in the show notes, shared how the emotionally intelligent leader can actually prevent conflict in the first place as they become really skilled in catching it early. So think about all of those times in a team meeting where you can feel and see the energy change, the body language, um, the the phrasing that people are using. Uh, An emotionally intelligent leader can intercept at that point rather than an unskilled leader in certain areas who would let that continue uh, and then conflict can build. So where we have the control uh, of those situations versus, you know, sometimes there is conflict outside of any situation that we're actually in, that makes it difficult. But where, when we're present uh, and a, a good leader is able to prevent that, to offer perspective, uh, to support people with their awareness, to manage and temper those emotions, all of the, all of the skills and scra- strategies that I've been talking about before. Um, really good strategy in terms of building social skills and awareness is learning how to praise and, and recognise others, inspiring the loyalty of your team and, and giving praise when it's deserved is really beneficial. So alongside, well, a part of this is acknowledging staff at varying points. And I must preface here, not not always those staff who stand out, who take on a thousand things. Yes, they need to be recognised. I'm not saying withhold the recognition. But also remembering those who consistently show up, who do their job, who are an asset or a constant to the team. I really love the idea of, uh, learning about our strengths, so completing something like a VIA strength assessment. Again, that's free. So learning about our top, our top-rated strengths, but also supporting our team with that and and recognizing those is a really great way to to build our awareness, but also to build rapport with staff. Now, a bonus key skill as as part of social skills and awareness is being able to manage relationships. So. This is an area that Goldman added in later to his work on emotional intelligence and it's one worth mentioning because one of the primary tasks of leaders is people management. Yet if we don't know how to build and manage respectful and trusting relationships, then we tend to fall short. So working well with others and and leading an effective team is a process that begins with emotional awareness and the ability to recognise and understand what other people are experiencing. So we've touched on that already. Leaders who can successfully manage the relationships of their team, as I was alluding to before, have excellent communication skills. They have good skills in being able to tune into others. They can mediate stressful situations and they encourage others to do the same. They don't avoid the tricky times or the difficult conversations. They go in, they support and they rectify the issue. In essence, an effective leader is able to extend their perspective to the staff that they lead and encourage others to think more openly and with empathy. Uh, I always laugh because I've been coined the perspective police. 
uh, when it often frustrates people actually when they're venting about another or complaining. Uh, and I'll always swoop in perspective policing. <laughs> I won't actually announce that, but I will offer the perspective of the other person. And it's frustrating for some people to hear that, whereas others <laughs> are really thankful that I'm there to offer the, the potential perspective of the other person. So if you're skilled in this, don't hold back offering the perspective of others to role model what it means to think and consider that in, in daily situations. So some more specific relationship management tips include, again, bringing awareness to how you use nonverbal communication. Recognising the nonverbal cues that you send out can help improve your relationships. Uh, My husband says that I look at him like he's an idiot sometimes um, and he gets really frustrated and I didn't even know that I was doing it. Uh, So that's something that I'm working on recognising. Um, I can also interrupt people as well. So um, it's about bringing awareness to that and trying to work on that. Uh, Using humour to to play and relieve stress. So both are really natural, sorry, using humour and play to relieve stress. So both are natural antidotes to stress. And they also encourage more connection, shared memories and release happy, feel-good hormones. This does not mean that you add humour to every situation. That's hard. Um, But... It also helps you to make light or be more connected in in situations uh, where things might be particularly stressful, but it's all about reading the room, of course. Look at conflict as an opportunity to grow closer to others. So finding ways to resolve a conflict in a constructive and healthy way can really help to strengthen the trust and bond between people. Um, You know, part of restoring trust is really first about acknowledging the wrongdoing uh, or the hurt that was caused. Um, acknowledging that, of course, and um, being able to move forward, but also outlining or or thinking about what what needs to be done in order to restore that trust and and faith in the person. And, of course, developing skills in having difficult conversation, uh, having a difficult conversation. So how to actually talk to somebody about an area that you're concerned about, whether it's their professional practice, their mental health, their behaviour, you know, an incident that's occurred, but doing that in a really non-judgmental way. So this is actually part of the World-Led Schools Partnership Program. We run a whole session on developing trust and having difficult conversations because not everybody has an evidence-based scaffold for having these kinds of conversations. Uh, And that's, of course, why we teach it. So that finishes off our episode today. As you've learned, emotional intelligence is an essential skill for building and managing relationships as a leader. By creating self-awareness around your emotions, triggers and reactions, you're better able to remove yourself from the equation when managing the feelings of others. Additionally, when you become in tune with those working alongside you, there's room for deeper understanding and clear communication as well as the adaptation of what you do with your team and in your school in response to the many people that you lead. The Well-Led Schools Partnership Program runs a number of leadership coaching opportunities specifically designed to support you and the leaders at your school to develop their personal attributes and emotional intelligence, all essential for successful school leadership. Our doors to the program open once a term, generally, but our next intake will be in 2024 while I'm off on maternity leave for the rest of the year. 
You can learn more about the partnerships and waitlist at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Well-Led Schools. You can access the show notes for this episode complete with information and links wherever you're listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review if you haven't already. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.